The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from Salamander's Records Room, under a disused Yeti, it's Doctor Who, Pachak. That's where we are. That's all that matters. Aye, but where? Yes, Doctor, we must know. Oh, stop fussing, you two. Come on! Hold on, you two! Now, wait a bit. See if there's any buckets and spades in the TARDIS. Buckets and spades? Is he going to dig for worms? No, he wants us to play sandcastle. Sandcastle? Yes. What is in the way out? A couple of children? The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak, episode 298. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this magnificent show is the magnificent Dave A.C. Cooper. And I thought you were going to say presented by a couple of children. <laughs> a couple of kids. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we are in mind. Hiya, Lewis. Yes, yes. And uh, just to remind everyone, Dave is across the, the great ocean, which we call the Atlantic, and um, in the UK. So, um, you know, just always to keep in mind there. Yeah, I mean, Bucket and Spade is over there. <laughs> so I, I hope you're well. We're, it's uh, middle of March already, so it's spring is... Um, uh, I guess a couple of weeks away, and we're definitely looking forward to it. You had a nice day today, and yesterday we had a nice day, so um, looking forward to the warmer weather. Absolutely beautiful it's been today, certainly in my part of the UK. Um, don't know whether it'll stay. It promised a lot last year and didn't, didn't uh, do it, but uh, we're going to promise our listeners quite a lot now, hopefully, and uh, have an interesting show for them. Yeah, yeah, we could go on about the weather, but I guess that people aren't tuning in for the weather report. <laughs> so, but if you're interested, they are predicting snow showers again for next week. But <laughs> let's 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 leave it there. So, uh, what we're gonna—if you haven't um, kind of figured it out from the clip that we just played—we're going to be reviewing another Doctor Who episode. This one, a classic story from the '60s. It's um, 
it's it's one of the stories that were just recently recovered as far as um, completely recovered. Um, it's a Patrick Troughton story, and the story is The Enemy of the World. Something to look forward to. Is we, we, obviously, this was originally... Well, I mean, originally, originally it was it was um, aired and um, starting in December 1967 and ran through um, the end of January 1968. But uh, more recently, it was available available via iTunes back in October 2013, and this alongside with uh, Web of Fear. So it's great having these two uh, two gems recovered and for our enjoyment, but. I guess we'll get more yeah, into two that. Consecutive, yes. Two consecutive stories as yes. well. So, but before we go into our review, we still got some news to, to tackle. So uh, before we go any further. Welcome to Doctor Who News. <laughs> <laughs> Development of the new series with Peter Capaldi is still developing. <laughs> Of course, I'm, I'm I'm sounding redundant here, but uh, what I'm what I'm getting at is that a writer has been confirmed for series eight, and that writer is Steve Thompson. Thank you. Yeah, uh, this is uh, information that only came out since our, our last live show because, of course, you did the. Um, uh, the wonderful interview uh, of Colin Baker from the past that uh, listened to that really enjoyed it, by the way. I oh, hope thank you. Uh, yes. the Podshot listeners did. But yeah, uh, this um, I'm reading this from the BBC.co.uk news site uh, dated Friday, March 7th, as we record on the, uh, the 12th. Um, the man who put Doctor aboard the cursed pirate ship and took us to parts of the TARDIS we've never seen before is confirmed as a writer on the forthcoming eight series of Doctor Who. Uh, Steve Thompson will write as a yet unnamed fifth episode in the series to be shown later in the year. So, so he had he had previously written uh, the black the curse of the black spot, a 2011 story, which um, which um, was a pirate story. Um, and so That's he, correct. Yeah. And also Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Ah, yes. More recently, yes. So that's something to look forward to. We, again, at this point, we don't have a lot of information to offer, but um, just a little nugget there to know that um, that he's back. And we don't have an episode title yet. So uh, more on that as, um, as it develops. Okay. Uh, so now, speaking of, of classic Doctor Who, a, a, a veteran actor is uh, marking a uh, centennial. This is um, Olaf Pooley, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Pooley. Ola, o, Olaf, I think it is. Olaf Pooley. Okay. Which, uh, for Doctor Who fans, he'll, he'll be remembered as Stallman, um, uh, director Stallman of... Um, from the Inferno episode, a John Pertwee, 1970 John Pertwee story. Yeah, uh, and he's one of these unusual people that played uh, uh, two characters, uh, but he was only in one story because uh, he played the alternate Professor Stanley Manor, whatever the surname is, uh, the bearded professor who was uh, in that. Um, Yeah, and I should say, actually, it's the 13th, so it's the March 13th he was born... 1914. So, um, yeah, a happy birthday. That, that's, that's um, technically, as we record this, it hasn't, you know, he hasn't turned 100, but 
by the time you listen to this, he would have. Well, it's the 13th where I am. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> it's, already, it's already tomorrow where I am. <laughs> well, we're time traveling, so. And they do. So I see he's, um, I'm just reading a little bit more about him. He's an uncredited writer for the for Life Force, a 1985 science fiction film which um, which starred um, um, Patrick Stewart from um, those that may, um, may remember that movie. Um, mm. And he's also one of the handful of actors to appear both in Star Trek and Doctor Who. Uh, the second oldest living Star Trek actor uh, after uh, Ellen... Bertinelli Dow, and the second oldest living, well, now the oldest living actor, I think, from Doctor Who. So he's he's uh, an artist as well, so he's been um, um, producing artwork and having it shown, and um, I, I'm seeing a little, a self-portrait yeah. which looks really interesting. So, um, yeah. And if people are wondering what Star Trek he was in, he was in Star Trek Voyager, the TV series, playing a, a cleric in Blink of an Eye. In the year 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was, I was curious myself. I'll have to take extra note when, when seeing that again. Yeah. I mean, there, there are all these little crossovers. I mean, some people have, you know, hunt down these facts and nurture them and know them. But, well, uh, Daphne Ashbrook yeah, was, it, uh, um, was in, you know, I think, uh, was it Deep Space Nine, Star Trek? He was, she was in... As, as well as something else called Doctor Who, but... <laughs> More history of science fiction and Doctor Who, which is a, a new um, documentary that's coming on um, BBC as well, I, I believe, as well as BBC America. It's uh, called The Real History of Doctor Who, and it covers, um, as the name applies... No, Real History, history, uh, real, history uh, uh, of yes, Science Fiction. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't mean to be uh, we won't want, just we focused won't want on Doctor Who. I think, I think your idea is as good for, a follow, for the follow-up. The sequel will be called that. It's the real history of science fiction, yes. Thank you, Dave. And um, it's, it's narrated by Mark Gaddis, who um, has uh, cred in Doctor Who, as well as Sherlock as well. So, um, but it's it seems interesting. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's going to, obviously, it, it hasn't... Um, it hasn't come to America yet. I know it's, it's the date. I think is the nineteenth of April for uh, um, for the U.S. and the, the BBC Two hasn't confirmed a transmission date as of yet. But it's a no, yeah, it's, it's a series of four, four parts, four episodes, which I'm guessing are about an hour yeah. long each or so. Right, and um, the the, um, the as well as. Uh, from Doctor Who, the other alumni that will be in it at some point. Stephen Moffat's going to make an appearance. Um, uh, David Tennant is. Um, Karen Gillan. Neil Gaiman is. Karen Gillan. So, um, so, and obviously from lots of other people, Scott uh, Baluka is. Bacula, that's it. Yeah. Scott Bacula from Quantum Leap. Anthony Daniels from Star Wars. Uh, Nicole, uh, Michelle Nichols, uh, Star, uh, Star Trek. Peter Weller, Robocop, uh, you know, um, uh, Edward James Olimos, is it, uh, from uh, Battlestar Galactica, uh, and mm-hmm. many, many more. Yeah. So there was like Nathan Fillion, brilliant. Yeah, William Shatner, um, Nichelle Nichols, if you haven't already mentioned her, Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2. Yeah. Uh, Sid Mead, speaking of artists, um, Sid Mead is a, is a artist that 
uh, not, well, a lot of people might remember his work from Blade Runner, but he's done other work as well. He's worked on, even um, speaking of Star Trek, he did some of the initial designs for um, for the theatrical debut of Star Trek, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right. Uh, and they've got uh, Ursula K. Ligrin, so Left Hand of Darkness, so they've got writers in there as well. And they're going to be themed, they're going to be four, uh, uh, without mentioning the name of another podcast. I think we're going to try and... Uh, uh, emulate this in some way but um we've got um episode one robots episode two space episode three invasion episode four time and just talking about um the space one just tonight here in the uk there's been channel four um uh, live well a, a little bit of it was live from the uh, the space station, but they were showing lots of basic uh, basic life uh, up on the space station, and then they had a, a live link on that. Um, that was great on uh, Channel Four here in the UK, not BBC Four, Channel Four. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, a pity it doesn't uh, give a date yet for the BBC Two transmission date, but. Um, it looks a really good uh, a good thing. My, my guess is probably going to be around the same day, probably maybe a little bit earlier. But I I would imagine sometime in April, mid mid April. I would my guess would be. Yeah, it might it might run one week behind. Uh, if the if the Americans are paying the lion's share of the money, they may not have got first airing rights. So, so and then so this other podcast that you won't mention its name, I'm sure probably this the, the theme will be the real history of cultum. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, something I haven't talked to with Ian yet, but uh, I think we'll uh, we'll try and because they're they're, they're actually marvelous uh, marvelous uh, topic yeah, ways of doing I think it so, so as well. Yeah. All right. Well, it's something to look forward to there. Both uh, the, the, the TV show and that other podcast that we won't mention its name, Coltum. <laughs> All right. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of the news section here. Not a lot of news, uh, but again, we're in a lull period right now as far as Doctor Who goes as we're, uh, you know, um, kind of coasting about. Though, um, I guess news is that, um, you know, that we can also include this, which kind of goes without say, is that these two lost episodes are now available on DVD, um, at least in the B- in the UK. I, I'm not sure about the US because I, I I purchased them and downloaded them from iTunes back in October, so I, I haven't been following the DVD release. So, but if I, I bought them on DVD, in fact, the, um, um, the they were sold out of the uh, Enemy of the World one for a while. That's why I ended up getting Web of Fear first. And uh, I, I won't actually say the news, but there is some of the Doctor Who news that people might be thinking, well, why aren't we mentioning it? And, and I think it's because it's a little bit spoiled, but apparently Sylvester McCoy on some interview let slip some information about uh, what may be happening on the se- uh, series of season eight of uh, Doctor Who's, but I don't think it's perhaps appropriate to mention it here, but it's to do with um, a return on Doctor Who of uh, a return. Okay, so hobbits are might be coming to uh, to Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the return. Apparently, he let slip something that he thought was 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 no return of the king. Wasn't. Okay. 
All right, well, we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Pachuk and our review of The Enemy of the World. Huh? <laughs> Hi, this is Fraser Hines, and you're listening to a Doctor Who Podshock. Well, as you know, we are reviewing The Enemy of the World in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock, so what better selection for our recommendation for an audiobook than Doctor Who, The Enemy of the World? Yes, the audio version of the episode, of the story, rather. So uh, that will be our selection. Once again, Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. You probably know this already if you're a regular listener to Doctor Who Podshock. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres. Yes, including science fiction. They have lots of Doctor Who titles, but that's not all. They also have comedy, romance, business, thrillers. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you... Listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check them out. Now if you decide it's not for you, simply cancel your your membership and the audiobook is free for you to keep. Now to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com/podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com/ Pachak for your free audiobook. Now, as I said, <laughs> as it is, we're recommending The Enemy of the World since we're reviewing The Enemy of the World. Now, this is the audio book version of it. Now, this is um this audiobook is made up of audio from the television episodes themselves, along with narration by Fraser Hines. Now, this was done when the story was still missing, when there was still only one episode from the six-parter that still existed. So now now we have the the actual uh, all six episodes of the of the videos to of each episode to enjoy as well. But uh, this was actually made at the time when it was still a missing story. So this was really your only way to sort of watch it, even though you're not watching it, you're watching it in your mind's eye. But you know what? It's even if you do buy the DVD or you bought it from iTunes, the the the, um, the video of it. It's nice to have an audio companion of it so you could listen to it in the car. And it has the narration there with Fraser Hines. So, you know, it fills in the parts that you can't see. Let's hear a little bit from it right now. Dry again after his impromptu swim, the doctor finishes putting his clothes back on. Oh, there's nothing I can dip to fasten you up. That's a funny looking boat. Oh, it's not a boat, it's a hovercraft. Eh? It's a hovercraft. Floats on the air instead of the sea. Oh, yes, yeah, I'm too old for fairy tales. True, Jamie. Terrifying thing. It's like a sea monster. Oh, we should get a closer look. It's coming nearer. Sure enough, the hovercraft, now riding high on its cushion of air, is powering directly towards them across the water. Oh, yes. Yes. A shadow of concern falls across the doctor's face as he watches. I don't think I like the look of this. Let's go. Why? What's the matter? Come on, run. Don't argue. Run. Come on. Run. Come on. Run. Come on. Come on. Perched on the vehicle's deck, Curly aims his gun at the threesome, who are now racing up the beach towards the sand dunes. He fires. He carries on firing as the hovercraft leaves the water and continues up the beach without slowing. The 
Dr. Jamie and Victoria dive for cover in the glassy dunes. Why, indeed. Oh, now. Look, Doctor, can't we go back to the TARDIS? No, we'll never make it. There's not much cover here. Perhaps we've landed in a world of madmen. They're human beings, if that's what you mean, indulging their favourite pastime, trying to destroy each other. The hovercraft has stopped, and the men clamber out. Guns in hand, they survey the dunes. Time we went. Come on. The three travellers sidle cautiously along behind thickets of grass and mounds of sand. By the hovercraft, Anton gestures for Curly to circle round to the right, whilst he and Rod move left. A stealthy game of cat and mouse amongst the sand dunes ensues. Suddenly, the doctor and his friends find themselves face to face with the mean features of Curly. Before he can fire his gun, however, Jamie leaps on him and lands a well-aimed punch. Curly is out cold. Okay. Anton and Rod look up at the sound of a small helicopter coming into land. I know those markings. That's Astrid's runabout. What's she doing here? Interfering. We've got to get to him before she does. The helicopter swoops in to land close to the doctor's party. Sure enough, Astrid is at the controls. Leaps from the craft and calls to them. Over here! Run! Let's go! Let's go! It's our engine Hurry! Come on! The doctor and Jamie half drag Victoria towards the helicopter. They all bundle aboard as Anton and Rod come within firing range. The helicopter takes off again, bullets flying all around it. Two men continue to shoot as their would-be prey is carried further away into the skies over the ocean. In the cockpit, Victoria clings to Jamie for dear life. Any time you're welcome, rescue! Don't speak to me for a moment, please. Astrid is struggling with the controls. What is this thing, Doctor? It's a helicopter, Jamie. Huh? A chopper. You know, a whirly bird. He says it's a bird. No, no, no. It's a, it's a primitive form of flying machine. Well, at least we're safe now, aren't we? Depends on what you mean by being safe. They've shot a hole in the fuel tank. We might blow up any minute. As the helicopter flies on, Anton and Rod are helping their dazed cohort back down the beach and into the hovercraft. Rising from the sand, the vehicle turns and speeds out across the waves. Astrid flies on, keeping an anxious eye on the helicopter's instruments. For a while, the gorillas trail the helicopter at sea level. But their hovercraft is no match for Astrid's piloting skills. 
Soon, Anton and his men are left behind. After a while, the helicopter leaves the ocean and heads inland. Here we go. They descend towards a small landing pad situated outside a solitary bungalow. Once safely down, the occupants disembark and make for the house. Wait, you're hurt. Nothing. We're lucky to be still alive. Jamie, give her a hand. They help Astrid into her living room. Come along inside. <coughs> I'm all now, right. Let's have a look at it. You're not, and please don't argue. Now, Victoria, bring some warm water, will you? Well, where's the kitchen? Through the arch. There's a medical kit in the bathroom through there. Go and fetch it, will you, Jamie? Right. Well, come and sit down. Nothing. It's just a scratch. We'll see. He sits beside her and tears the sleeve of her blouse uh, yes. to reveal an open wound. Who are you? You mean you don't know? No, why should I? Well, you went to such a great deal of trouble to save us. Ah, here we are. Thank you, Jimmy. Do you know how to use those things? Oh, don't worry. The doctor will fix you up just fine. Again, that's Doctor Who, the enemy of the world. It's the... Uh... Uh, again, this is the the audio from it, and it stars uh, Patrick Troughton in a dual role with um, with Fraser Hines, who's narrating and also playing uh, Jamie in it. Deborah Watling, Watling rather, um, who plays Victoria. It's written by David Whittaker, and once again, it contains the original audio from the television series with uh, narration by Fraser Hines. So once again, this could be your selection, or you could choose anything that Audible has to offer. Simply go to get in order to get your free audiobook. Simply go to audibletrial.com/pachak. Again, that's audibletrial.com/pachak. You'll be getting a great audiobook, and you'll be supporting our show as well. You're a doctor. Well, not of any medical significance. Doctor of law? Philosophy? Which law? Whose philosophies, eh? Oh, I see. You're determined to be mysterious. Eh? Um, doctor of science? Septic spray, that should be all right. A doctor of divinity, then. You'll run out of doctors in a minute. Ah, you haven't told us your name yet. Astrid Ferrier. Ah, Miss Ferrier, this is Victoria, and this is Jamie. Well, now, this won't take a minute. Just want to clean it off. Be as gentle as I can. There we are. Who are these men? Why are they so determined to kill us? Kill you. They hate you. Me? I'm the nicest possible person. <laughs> oh, at least I should say they hate the person that they think you are. Passionately and completely. Can't we tell them they made a mistake? There wouldn't be time. They seem... Remarkably dedicated. They are. There. Tell me, Miss Ferrier, do you hate me? Far from it. To me, you're the most wonderful and marvellous man that's ever dropped out of the skies. <sighs> Will you do something for me? Anything. Anything at all. It'll probably cost you your life. Oh, but it wouldn't be worth it. Well, that's, that's comforting anyway. What is it you want me to do? Let me take you to the man I work for, Giles Kent. 
He'll explain everything you want to know. And we're back with Dr. Upachak. And once again, this is Louis Trapani. And with me is none other than Dave Cooper. And we're here to, um, as you can tell from that clip, we're going to be reviewing the previously lost story, now found, The Enemy of the World. It's a Patrick Troughton story. And it, um, as I mentioned in earlier in this episode, in this episode of Dr. Upachak, that it, it originally was transmitted in December, December 23rd, 1967, and ran its six episodes. So it ran uh, till the 27th of January, 1968. So um, we're, we're almost in sync, a few couple months, you know, from the, the anniversary of its airing. Yeah. The previous story had been the Ice Warriors. And um, as we said before, this uh, is then followed by the Web of Fear. So we've got these two consecutive stories, which is great. Yes, yes. And as always, before we go any further. Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 Yeah, so there'll be spoilers. 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 All right. So you may be wondering how. Or why are we doing a spoiler alert? Well, for a story that's um, almost 50 years old, well, some people haven't seen it yet. <laughs> we, uh, up until a, a few months ago, we hadn't seen it yet. You know, not all of it. There, there was... Um, oh, yes, we had. Well, if you count reconstructions, but th- there was... Oh, when it first aired. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I forget who I'm speaking to. <laughs> yes, well... Lazarus. Yeah, I wasn't in... I was around, but I wasn't in the UK, so... And, and it wasn't being shown in the US, so uh, I, I didn't see it on its first run, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I'm sad to say I was already 21 at the time. Well, it's... It, it, that's... It's, you don't have to... No, you know, it's not unfortunate. It's just, it's great that um, you you know you had that firsthand experience. You know, I you know every time I watch Doctor Who from you know from the sixties, you know the black and white era, I always try to put myself in the mindset of the period that it was my, made, and um, you know imagine myself watching it during that time. So, and you, you can actually say that you do remember watching it during that time. Yeah, and that actually goes against all all normal reasoning because they say if you lived in the sixties, you don't remember it. <laughs> you know, you couldn't have been there, but I do. Yeah, <laughs> well, it must it's... have been because I was doing teacher training and leading a sober life at the time. I hadn't discovered wine at that point. It was an historical time, and uh, um, you know, Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who... Um, no, 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 It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> Let's have a bit of literature in this show. Yes, yes. Well, this is a actually a, a significant story in many ways. You know, outside of it just being, being previously lost and now recovered, uh, it also marked... Uh, it, it was a, um, a, a, a tentpole, if you will, you know, because it, it marked the, um, the last time that... Doctor Who was being produced under the, um, the 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 overseeing of 
the watchful eye of its creator, Sidney Newman, even though he wasn't the producer of the series or anything like that, but he he was head of uh, drama at BBC and Doctor Who was always his um, his baby in in a certain respect, even though you know he had handed it off to other producers to to take to to run with it and produce it and and and, and create it. So um, it was after this story that his um, his contract ended. Um, in 1967, and you know he went on to other things, and so this was the last story under under his eye, if if you will. It's also um, um, it, it it also marks um, the the directing debut of Barry Letts, who then Indeed. went on to become the show's producer, uh, mostly in the John Pertwee um, era. It's also Ian Lloyd's the, the 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 director of the story. It's his last show. And uh, Peter Bryant will then become the next producer. So it it, it marks a transition in. Oh, it's also uh, David Whittaker's first show. I'm sorry. The author is um, is David Whittaker, which was the show's first script editor. Right, and it also marks in a technological sense as well, because uh, obviously, as you you mentioned, this was the black and white era, but uh, we were just in the transition between uh, four oh five lines to uh, six two five. Uh, previously, been thought, I think that it was only in the middle of this that they actually switched to six two five, but apparently, the, the, when they found these episodes, the quality of the recordings, the, they were. Uh, because of course it's telecined, isn't it, off the actual monitor? Um, but um, yeah, the, the, I think they were all done in six two five, which is why the quality of this is is pretty good. And I must say, my DVD copy that uh, I, I've been watching it on, um, I've been watching it on my TV, which is a forty two inch. Now it's widescreen TV, and I'm one of these people that hates. Uh, people who stretch pictures. Sorry, I, don't, I shouldn't say I hate people that do it, but I personally won't stretch pictures. Yeah. So I will watch it in the form of three aspect that it is. The correct aspect you know, ratio. Uh, just ignore. Yeah, right. Yeah, same yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, right. So I'm watching it. Now, when I watched it the first time, I think the TV I watched it on was what's called a 21-inch, which is literally one quarter of the screen size. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. the, the TV I was watching on it is four times the screen area, <laughs> and yet it still looked uh, very good indeed. It In actual d- fact, does. some of the yeah. poorest parts of it, some of the poorest parts of it were the film sections because uh, there were a couple of, uh, about three scenes in it that were filmed. Mm-hmm. And again, while we're just doing the technical bit, um, uh, Barry Letts was very keen to uh, stretch his muscles, apparently, because he was going to do, and he'd been allowed something like, five or six times where they could have the, the doctor on the screen at the same time in the two parts. In other words, by using, you know, uh, matting techniques. Yeah, to do like uh, a, but a, split, the, a split screen effect. Right, yeah. And, um, in fact, he, he planned for six... According, this is according to the wiki page. He planned for six screen splits. Uh, they did one, and that's actually, I think, the one right near the end. Uh, it's the, the image that they show on the wiki page as well, uh, with the two doctors coming face... Uh, sorry, the, the salamander and the doctor <laughs> coming face-to-face in the TARDIS. And mm-hmm. um, apparently something happened to the actual machine that did that. Um, it was only later that... Um, 
uh, Derek uh, Martin, uh, director of a preceding story, uh, had brought Biolets up to date saying that there was another, uh, another method he could have used, and that of using an optical printer to get the same... Uh, the same idea, but um, it, it's obviously from. I mean, we have a helicopter just shortly after that um, opening clip that we played right at the beginning of the show, where the doctors arrived on the beach. This one, we have a hovercraft in the distance. That's another mm -hmm. technological in innovation that was there. Then we have a, a helicopter chase, alarm, whirly birds, you know, uh, air fox type of thing. Um, so, really. Um, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, things where this episode, you know, is is showing a, a vigorous Doctor Who, um, not quite in the third Doctor Bond way, uh, because obviously the Doctor isn't the one piloting the helicopter where you would have thought the third Doctor would have actually been doing that. But, but um, it, it is very yeah. action oriented. It, it's it's uh, it is very yeah. much so in in that respect. And um, I, I just. Um, I mean, technically, I think they, they did a magnificent job here um, since, since we were on the technical credits. It, um, it does contain some um, stock music, uh, orchestration, orchestration music um, from Bella Bartok. I'm not sure if I'm – I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. but um, Bartok. Yeah. It's pretty interesting because, you, you know, it's not – you're not used to hearing that type of music in, you know, in Doctor Who, and it's. It, I think it adds a little, um, you know, a, a, a bit of drama there that that was good to see, uh, good to hear rather. The lighting yeah. was, and that's a man, by the way, Bartok. But the people who are not classically into into music may mm -hmm. not you know, but that's a man's name. It, it's not. It's not Bella, you know, like a woman's name, but Bartok. <laughs> Uh, and I, I thought that they did a good job with the lighting as well, especially there's um, sequences in the kitchen, which, um, you know, they, they nice use of lighting where sometimes people faces were, were in shade and um, and it just they, they seem to pull that off pretty well. And, and I thought it was a bit metaphoric since there are a lot of shady characters in this story. Um, but just to go with um, also what Dave had mentioned about the opening of this story is that it does open on location. I love location shots on Doctor Who. So this has some location um, shooting as well, as well as studio. And, and you can tell the transitions, not just by the quality of the, of the video going from video to film, but also, uh, you know, you can tell when they're in a studio just because they're in a studio. But, uh, but I do yeah, love the location it stuff. Me of the, yeah. It reminded me of the beach they used as the, you know, the part of the matrix, uh, um, you know the 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 actual uh, the scenes on the beach. Well, you know the, what it reminded the, me. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah, the Tom Baker story, not not the Matrix, the movie. The, yeah. Um, the um, yeah yeah it, when they're inside the Matrix, yeah. You know what it also reminded me of the prisoner. You know, seeing uh, you know having them chasing on the beach. I was expecting Rover to come out, which is the big ball in the in the prison. If if you ever seen the prisoner, the, the TV series. Um, <laughs> it reminded me of, of that as well. Um, yeah, you uh, see, the, and, and, and I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, and you, that's more of an estuary. Yeah, well, I've I've seen some like seven. Uh, I'm sure I've seen Serverland uh -huh. on those uh, beaches, on those uh, sand dunes, and sure. that. Yeah, I you know this is such a mammoth mammoth story, and it, there's there's so much about it. it it's it's kind of overwhelming. 
<laughs> so um, forgive me if, if I do jump around a bit because there's so much that, uh, you know, I, I do want to kind of cover. And so I, I do, um, I may jump around a bit, but I, I do want to, um, you know, I, I have to, before going any further, that, that Patrick Troughton is incredible in this. He's playing two roles. He's doing dual roles. He's outstanding. You really get to see his acting chops in this. And, you know, you, even though you know it's the same actor, you, 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 you know, there's no, there's a definitive line, you know, you're not going to confuse the doctor with this other character that he's playing Salamander. I mean, he really does such a good job that they, they, they really are two different people, two different characters. And, and what's even interesting is that the doctor character at one point impersonates Salamander. So you have the doctor, you know, playing, you know, impersonating someone else that he's playing as well. Yeah, and there's a there's there's a, a really good scene as well because uh, uh, I mean obviously the, when the first there's a progression the first time the doctor you know uh, plays Salamander he's not quite got it completely right but mm-hmm. he's he's doing it on the first basis and so on and he uh, he carries on and then there comes a scene fairly well into the story where uh, he actually plays a trick on the on his companions. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I thought it was Salamander. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're not too sure. And then, just as just as Victoria's going to whack him one, he's don't do it, me, Victoria. And uh, at that point, you were saying, "Well, I know, I could tell when he was Salamander being Salamander, and I could tell when he was the Doctor uh, pretending to be Salamander, uh, and he was playing those two. But then there was this one one where he played it to the point where bitch. Uh, we were drawn in and fooled by it, with with, with his companions fooled as well. So that that, mm-hmm. that 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 was really good. And and we should mention that his companions in this story are uh, Jamie McCrimmon and Victoria Waterfield, uh, who respectively are Fraser Hines and Deborah Watling. And and of course, you know, they go without mention. You know, as far as their abilities and their, their acting chops as well as is portrayed here. But uh, there's such a great cast. In this story, um, all of them doing uh, really top of the line work here. I mean, I, I really didn't have any problems at all with um, with the major characters and and their portrayals. You had um, Bill Kerr playing Giles Kent, um, Mary Peach playing Astrid. We, we once again have another Astrid character, Astrid Ferrer. Uh, Colin Douglas portrays uh, this character. This, um, Security um, master named Donald Bruce. Donald Bruce, yeah, yeah, who does an excellent yeah. job there. Well, I mean, before you even go on from that, I mean, first of all, Bill Kerr. Uh, many people in the UK will will recognise him from being a foil to uh, Tony Hancock in Hancock's Half Hour. He's uh, he's actually South uh, South African, but he, mm-hmm. he moved to. Australia when he was quite young, so he's Australian. But he, he, he uh, with uh, you know Hattie Jakes and uh, um, Eric. Um, uh, oh, the from the Carry On films. I get his name in it. Sid James, uh, mm-hmm. but Bill Kerr. Absolutely, you would think he's a bit of a dope because he plays that character to such a pitch uh, on that. Um, when we were talking about um, Roger Lloyd Pack before about you know how he played on Only Fools and Horses and then he played Lumic and, uh, mm-hmm. and um, 
how, how he was such a great character actor, but a lot of people only knew his humour. Uh, Bill Kerr apparently was a, a, a big stage actor as well. But I thought he, it's a pity he didn't do more uh, serious uh, acting as such, because I, I thought he was excellent in this. Uh, again, with that, we, I don't think we'll jump to the end, but, um, you know, uh, there are uh, more than one things where all is not what it seems yes, in this show. Yes, yes. Let's put it that way. There's a there's, lot of there's that. There's a few switcheroos <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, going on. It's delicious. So, so it's great. It. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Colin Douglas actor that you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. Don Bruce, uh, people, if they see his face, oh, I've seen him before. Uh, he was uh, in Horror Fang Rock. That's the episode where most ah, people are going to remember. Yes, he did look familiar. It was the lighthouse keeper. Yes, now, lighthouse keeper. Now, now that you mention it, yeah, I can, I see it now. Yeah, uh, but I've seen him in lots of things here in the UK. Um, uh, I, I remember him seeing from when the boat comes in playing um, a uh, mill owner in that. But he, he's been in lots of things. Um, uh, Dick Barton, Special Agent Blimey, that's going back a long way. Danger Man, um, Pickwick Papers. But the role that he he really came to fame after this was um, uh, he was the lead in a a drama called uh, A Family at War. It's nice being here to all this. Ian usually does all this stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, Colin, yeah, um, A Family at War, which was a great, big, uh, historic, you know, Thing seen through uh, a family. It played Ed- Edwin Ashton on that. Uh, but he's been in all all sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, so he, he was uh, really great. Uh, what was the next one you just mentioned? Um, uh, the, well, um, the, the one that George pra- Pravda that played Danes. He's a Czech- Czechoslovakian actor. Uh, he is a fabulous actor. He's been in all sorts of things. Uh, but he's also been... Um, he was in The Mutants and The Deadly Assassin. Um, he played one of the Time Lords in Deadly Assassin. Hmm. Uh, he's been on uh, Cold It's I, Claudius, uh, The Old in Line, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy... Or uh, softly, softly. No idea. Plays Avengers, the Saint, Prisoner, Special Brands Department S. Uh, really fantastic actor. Uh, that's the chap who, who who gets arrested during the course of this thing, and is, is the one that's trying to eat his steak with a spoon. Mm, yeah, his uh, his film credits include Thunderball, Frankenstein's Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, Hanover Street with Harrison Ford, and uh, Firefox. Um, right. Some other uh, points of interest is uh, Milton Johns, who plays Benick, and um, Carmen Monroe, who plays um, um, uh, Farrah. The, F- the, the food the taster. The food taster was that. Yeah, I thought she did an excellent job um, as well. Yeah, when, when they're questioning her in the kitchen, uh, she's uh, excellent in that. Um, been in the British sitcom uh, uh, Desmond's. That's where perhaps a lot of people would do it. Uh, in General Hospital, um, uh, lo- lots of different things. Um, so yeah, the uh, the other one that you named before, Milton I mean, Johns. Really, the, this. Yes. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> he he was also <laughs> in the Android Invasion and then. Um, 
Inv Android Invasion and, and Invasion of Time as well, other Doctor Who credits. He was a uh, Guy Crayford Cray in the Android uh, Invasion yeah. and uh, Castellan Kelner. Uh, Castellan, yeah, right. Yeah, he's been in lots. Shoestring, Yes Minister, Softly Softly, um, um, Zed Cars, Campion. Now, Campion, I think, is the one with... Uh, isn't that the one with the fifth doctrine? I'm sure that's... Uh, yeah, Campion's the uh, Peter Davidson uh, uh, series that he was in. So that's where he plays a, a, a detective. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great cast really. of characters, a great cast. And, and as you were saying, there's a lot of turnarounds and it's, you know, you really got to pay attention. Though it's not hard because it's, it's such a you're, – you're on the edge of your seat wanting to know what happens next and where this is all going. But it's a story that, that has characters that are filled with mistrust, backstabbing, blackmail, suspicion – all this is the norm here, and it's. Um, I think it's well written and well acted, and um, it's it's quite ingenious storytelling and acting here. I, I know yeah. I was on I the mean, edge of my seat trying to, you know, I, you know, as soon as one episode ended, even though the cliffhanger may not be that intense, you just oh, I want to know what you know, you know, where this is going and how this is going to turn out. Right. I mean, there's, there's one thing where you get this idea that. Um, uh, these natural disasters that Salamander is predicting, that he's somehow making them happen. So then you start thinking, oh, he's like the meddling monkey. Is, is this another time on? <laughs> is, is he actually, you know, has he actually got a spaceship above the planet or is he at least an alien on the world? And he's actually, you know, well, they had sent up a satellite, but is this satellite, you know, it's one of these sort of um, uh, Star Wars laser type um satellites he's put up, you know, because he, he'd funded this satellite mm -hmm. and maybe it was sending, you know, laser beams to the Earth and he was causing that. But actually, the the truth was even more fiendish than that. Yeah. So, well, we should that make a, great. a point uh, that this takes place cool. in the future. It, it, obviously, this was, was produced in 1967 and aired, you know, 67 through 68. But the story, even though it doesn't come out and tell you, you there are little signs that will tell you when this takes place. Uh, Astra's helicopter in the opening sequence, she has a registration placard on inside the the canopy of the of the helicopter that expires the 31st of December 2018. And then later on, there's a... Right. Uh, a character discovers a newspaper article, and he says it's a year old. And when you see the newspaper article, it's dated 2017. So even though this is, takes place in the, you know, near far future when it was made, now it's 50 years in the future. Yeah, now it's almost it present time. It's 2014 as we record this, so it's just four years away because it takes place sometime in 2018. This story. Uh, and what was also prescient in that was the, you know, they're talking about moving, you know, from one zone to another yes. completely across, you know, continents. But and they said, oh, it's, oh, it takes two hours in a rocket. Now, they're, 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 I've only, I only just read about two, three weeks ago that there's yet another, you know, uh, initiative going on to try and get these fast rockets. And I think they were talking about the UK to Australia in four hours. Uh, with this, you know, that, that hotel rocket never took off, and this is a new one of these scramjet type of things that they're talking about now. Uh, so, you know, uh, to say they were thinking that 50 years from when this was done, we'd have these. Maybe by 2017, we'll have, uh, you know, again like like we did. Um, 
more recently, you know, with Concord and that, mm-hmm. have the rockets flying that sort of distance in that sort of time. Well, um, you mentioned that, that zones. It seems like now countries are now, like, we're, when this story opens on the beach and all that, we're in the Australia zone or some Australia or whatever they call it, zone. And then they're in the central zone. And um, so it seems like countries are now relegated into, like, zones. The the globe is devoted yeah. is divided into into globe into two zones rather super yeah yeah super areas yeah yeah and and um, just to mention the beach again it, it's good to see the doctor jumping into the waters with his undergarments <laughs> <laughs> and, and you did say some great stuff I mean like um, Jamie had a a great scene where he he goes and actually um, appears to save Salamander's life I think that was a great. I, I think that great was a, scene from Jamie. I think that was a great way how they, how uh, Jamie infiltrates Salamander's camp. I think they did that in a marvelous way, you know. Uh, but later on, you know, even Salamander says, um, you know, in order to be engineer, it, it was very ingenious. I forget the word, whatever term, what the exact quote, but um, but you have to be constantly engineering new ideas, and you're not doing that, and that's you know, it, it had given him away. But I, I thought it was a great... Let's keep the pretense up, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is really intense. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 action-based, but it's it's fast-paced, even though there's a lot of political stuff and, and um, backstabbing and all that stuff is going on, but it's just, it, it doesn't get boring, you know? And, you know, it's six episodes, the pacing is really good, it moves very quickly, and at the end of each episode, I'm like, okay, I, I can't wait to see the next one now. Which sometimes isn't, you know, even after seeing it, you know, watching it the second time, I was, you know, I was anxious to watch, to, to, to put the next one on. Well, you've got me so excited, I can't hear to, uh, wait to hear another clip of it. Yes, <laughs> we're getting carried away. We should be playing more clips. What is all this? I'll just give you a couple of minutes. I have a meeting. This is important, Benick. I hope so. Well... Salamanders left you in control of the research station? Yes. Did he go on the rocket for the Central European Zone? Yes. Do you see him go aboard? Hasn't been an accident, has it? Did you see the rocket take off? Do you mean, did I stand there waving my handkerchief? Hardly. I have too much to do. You're not a very funny man, Benick. Not to me. Now, answer me. Did you actually see him leave? What is all this? I've just driven straight here from having spoken to Salamander. Not 200 miles away. That's impossible. I don't lie, even to someone like you. He was with Giles Kent. With the 8th Kent? Exactly. Kent wasn't hurting him by force, was he? No, I thought of that. Salamander was a wee bit odd, I admit. Not quite his usual self, but he was perfectly in control. All he had to do was bat an eyelid, and I'd have knocked off everyone in sight. Oh, well, I don't understand it. Now... Salamander suggested that he was on his way to the Central European Zone. Now, you're in radio contact with him. I want you to talk to him. Make sure that Kent hasn't got some hold over him that we don't know about. He instructed me not to bother him until the conference was over. Well, I'm countermanding that instruction. I'm telling you, Brutes, he won't answer. Not till the conference is over. It's too important. And that's our security chief there, Donald Bruce. I thought it was an excellent character. Very... Uh, when it, when he was first introduced, I thought he was very much like a, a Dick Cheney type, and I, I don't mean that in a political sense. Just the presence that he 
Um, oh, it's quite massive, isn't it? When he first comes into the room, yeah, 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 he towers over them. He looks a real force. Well, yeah, a but Darth and, Vader type character. Yeah, he's just and um, and but he's it's not it's not a cardboard character either. You know that you there, there's more to him than what meets the eye. And as the story progresses, what you know initially seems to be um, a force to be reckoned with, almost like a villain, may not be a villain, you know? Um, well, not so much that, but it, but it looks as though he's, you know, he's, he can't think for himself. He basically, you know, he's, he's, he's the heavy, he's the muscle, he's the enforcer. But uh, the Doctor makes an assessment of him that, and it, there comes one critical point yes. where uh, there, there's a gun situation. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a lot of guns and there's quite a lot of shooting. Yes. Uh, quite a few people get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's any drawbacks, just so people think, well, you're being a bit flattering of this one. I mean, there are some drawbacks. I mean, although there wasn't a lot of padding, there was quite a, a bit of chewing and froing. So, I mean, uh, I mean, somebody must have clocked up quite a few air miles during the course of the story. Um, and um, some of the set props were a little bit... Uh, thing. I, I remember there's this scene in this caravan and I'm looking and, and there's this kitchen and, the, uh, and to threaten them, they're sort of smashing the plates up, which was a bit... A bit handbags at dawn. It was a little bit there, and there, 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 quite prominently on the on the side was a a, a, a big bottle of tomato ketchup. As it <laughs> happened, that was a, that was a plot point because it came in use later on. Yes. But I mean, like when, um, uh, and uh, I'll give a sp- I'll, I'll be a bit circumspect when I, I, I give this next bit because we might just give a spoiler before we play this last uh, well not the next clip but the last clip that we do play uh, but there's um, some food arriving at a certain place uh, and uh, and it's basically they've got cardboard boxes from the back of a supermarket a store uh, you know you know we just printed stickers from a dot matrix printer on them it, it didn't look very effective and there's another one where somebody's picking up this you know it's supposed to have something like 48 tins of uh, protein in it. And he lifts it up like it's an empty thing with just, you know, uh, with those little plastic um, chip things in, you know, the... the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the I mean... Well, we, we can be forgiving like with, and with some of that. Uh, uh, there's a, yeah. Towards the end there, there's an explosion and the, the ceiling comes down and it's obviously styrofoam because it's wobbling and whatever, and you know it's not a cement slab. <laughs> but it's, you know, we, we can over... I mean, that's what's great about Doctor Who is that, you know, if it's good storytelling, good characters... That's all that. That's the meat and potatoes of Doctor Who. The the um, the special effects and the, some of the wobbly sets and um, walls, and we can kind of overlook. You know, I I, I think the the real thing is is the the characters and the storytelling. Right. And and the Doctor has to be convinced of Salamander's wrongdoings here at first. And it takes a long time to convince the Doctor. And what's kind of curious is that he never seems to be uh, <laughs> to need so much convincing ever before or since. But in this story, uh, he... Well, because rightly so, as we, turn, as we find out later on, you don't know who is friend or foe. So, and I guess the Doctor sensed that and, um, and, and is trying to uh, get as much information and, and before he does something that he might regret. Right, you know, and and then they had to con- then they had to convince Donald Bruce as well, you know, um, before they can elicit his uh, services. 
So why don't I'll play right. another clip and then we'll we'll talk some more. Well, we all seem to be here, except the third member of your escape committee. Don't know what you're talking about. You are seen speaking with the girl in the park, the one who tried to escape with Dennis. Don't know anything about that. Don't even know her. A diversion was caused. There was no one outside the kitchen. Of course there was someone, and there was shooting. Three shots have been fired from this gun. It's yours, isn't it? Pretending to save my life was ingenious. But ingenuity requires a constant stream of new ideas. Yours seem to have dried up. I come to the central zone. An attempt is made on my life. Danish proves to be a traitor. Federing commits suicide because I uncover him. Do your job, Bruce. You can see they're all in this. All right, take them away. Take your hands off me! Tell Amanda, I think it's about time you told me what's going on. One minute I'll see you with this lad McCrimmon, you're working together, the next I minute... I thought he saved my life. No, I mean before that, in Kent's office. What are you talking about? Well, I saw you there. But I haven't seen Kent in months. Yes, you were with Kent, the ferrier girl, and those two youngsters. I thought it was so curious, I spoke to your number two, Benick, about it. That's really the reason I came to this zone. But I tell you, I must get back to the research center. You will come with me. It was you. Or someone like you. Uh, that's an important scene right there, because it's uh, right there yeah. they, they realize that there's more than one salamander out there, it appears. I think that's one of the, the, the subtle cliffhangers you're talking about because yes. it then just focuses on Salamander's face mm-hmm. and you know that that's going to be the next thing. Uh, I'm just looking again at the uh, wiki page and uh, I hadn't noticed this before. Uh, Patrick Troughton's son, David Troughton, makes his first Doctor appearance. Oh. This is an uncredited extra. Really? Uh, of course, he, 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 he's later in because of Peladon and so on and things. But, uh, yeah, and... Um, uh, and um, uh, the person who played Swan, played by uh, one of the three who rule, Christopher Burgess. Well, <laughs> a Christopher Burgess. Uh, he also played um, Professor George Phillips in Terror of the Autons and Barnes in Planet of the Spiders. And Andrew Sargent, who's playing a sergeant, one of the soldiers under Benick here, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Staines, uh, appeared in uh, Terror of the Aut- Autons as uh, Goodidge and Carnival Monsters as uh, the captain, and in Planet of the Spiders as uh, Kiva. Uh, and and we, we must mention also in the novelisation of this, that was written by Ian, Ian Martyr. Yeah. Uh, um, so, um, uh, of course, played um, Harry Sullivan. Yes, a companion later to, on. To, to the Doctor um, later, uh, later on towards the... The, the, the end of Pertwee, beginning of, um, of, of Tom Baker. Right. And going back to that birthday we talked about, the 100th birthday, um, I mean, this has got a little bit of a shades of uh, Inferno in it in, in just a couple of aspects, because, I mean, the, the drilling in that uh, leads to some sort of cataclysmic volcanoes going off. Uh, we have the, you know, people playing the same character, but in two different versions of it. You know, the the famous one with the brigadier with his eye patch. In fact, when I was watching this now, I'm thinking, 
I wonder if it might have been too melodramatic, whether they'd have gone with uh, Salamander wearing an eye patch, you know, to differentiate the two. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, they did a different hairstyle, and obviously they dressed differently, uh, but it was mostly... You darkened know, his skin. His skin was darkened as well, even though it was black and white. Mm-hmm. He, they definitely put this sort of... Well, he, uh, was, uh, he was supposed uh, to be of Mexican so, um, origin, yeah. I think, so... I, and again, I think Troughton did an excellent job there. I mean, his um, you know his speech inflection and everything was just you know I, I just think he did a great job. You know, it, it, you oh, see, yes. you can see Troughton in other movies, and he's playing he plays different. He, you know, I guess what's you know commonly known as a character actor, you know, because he can really do different characters amazingly well, and he you know everything from police constables to uh, you know he's. Um, in, in, in um, at least one of the Sinbad movies, if if not more than one, but he's um, he's an um, incredible actor. There, he, he played a priest yeah. in uh, um, in the Omen, and uh, well, I'm not going to go through his whole right, credits. indeed, yeah. In actual fact, when, when I was listening to the the Mexican, the, the the thing that came to my mind was Al Pacino. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> What's the the famous one where he plays, you know, that Scarface is it? Yeah, yeah. Because that's exactly the accent that Al Pacino had in Scarface. Well, this predates that. So maybe maybe Al Pacino uh, saw saw the enemy of the world, you know. Learn from the best. Learn from the best. Yeah, you never know. I mean, uh, you could argue that, I mean, I don't think, I don't think this, would have worked as a four-part story. I think there was too much going on. Uh, you could argue they could have gone with five because uh, there was a little bit more toing and froing. But just as you thought, um, oh, just as I thought, you know, we had this whole story pegged. There was this still. There was this still. You know, well, what about these natural disasters? Because there's one scene where you know the volcano goes off and they're looking through, uh, you know, binoculars at it, and you think, well. Yeah, how, how could he be doing that? I mean, is he actually mm-hmm. a person from a different time zone? I mean, even though it's, uh, as we say, we're talking about uh, 50 years from the future when it was done, nobody, none of the other people thought that it could be done, you know, the scientists of the world couldn't have done it. So did he have extraterrestrial knowledge? Uh, had, he, had he done something hockey with his satellite? But of course, uh, it, it it actually goes very well because this was done in nineteen sixty seven sixty eight. Now, what have we had happen only three or four years ago? We'd had that worry that we were going to have a nuclear war, hadn't we? We'd had all the Bay of Pigs, and I'm not mm. quite sure the dates, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, people were worried yeah. about. A possible atomic war, and people were buying uh, shelters. They even did this in Quantum Leap, and that. So, um, the 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 next turn of the the storyline is the fact that um, we have this whole group of people. I don't know if you want to take over the how you want to explain this without because we're obviously assuming you've seen it, but yes, on the other yeah. hand, we. We don't want to go through all the plot points. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, to, uh, Salamander uses that to his advantage. You know, this this threat of nuclear holocaust and radiation poisoning, and um, and he uses that to manipulate others 
And um, and I guess uh, before I play this next clip, just a reminder about spoilers. You know, we're again, like Dave said, we're assuming if you've gotten this far, you've seen the story already. But um, you know, it's just we, we don't want to spoil it any further. This is a big plot point in a way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, this is it. Look at the bit of headline there. There, control yourself, swan. You go mad. Holiday liner sinks. You say there's a global war, radiation everywhere. How can there be holiday liners? Tell me how! You've lied to us, haven't you? In a way, Swan, yes. I, I had to. Had to? What do you mean, had to? Well, it's true that, that the war is over. But have you any idea what happens to people who've been involved in a nuclear war? Have you? Of course I haven't. I've been down here. Those that are lucky enough to escape the annihilation their bodies eaten away by radiation poisoning. They deformed in minor body. But this, this, this newspaper. Well, they have a kind of society, but it's, it's evil, corrupt. You don't think I could expose you to, to that sort of thing? Think of Mary and, and the other women. You could have told me at least. I decided not to. You should have told me. I thought it was best. And what about the natural disasters we've been organizing? The volcanoes, earthquakes? This one. They're not fit to live. You're murdering them. Killing them off. I want you and the others to inherit the earth. Make a new world. Yes, I know all about that. But not the price of wholesale murder. It's not murder. If you could see, you'd understand. It's an act of mercy. There must be some other way. No! I won't take your word anymore. I want to see for myself. Yeah, so that's a crucial point right there towards the end. Yeah, and it reminds me of the the other story, isn't it? The um, much much later one where, you know, we have this uh, this where they're trying to clean clean the Earth ready for a new start. They have these people in a spaceship. I'm trying to remember the name of the blooming title now, of course. But the story where we, we find out that these people think they're on a spaceship to another planet, mm-hmm. and they are in actual fact under London, and um, the uh, the thing is going by there. Yeah, I, 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 it's ringing a bell. I, 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 can't, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I can't think of it now. A third Doctor story. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm sure we'll, I'll, I'll jump onto that before we get to the end, hopefully. Well, this leads uh, but, uh, to yeah, this, this leads to the climax, uh, to the end of the story, where both Salamander and the Doctor face each other in the TARDIS, nonetheless. And uh, you know, I have to say, during the '60s on, on American t- television, there were a lot of uh, instances where, uh, especially in, in like fantasy sitcoms, like in Bewitch and I Dream of Jeannie, and um, even the Adams Family, they had um, one act, one actor playing dual roles. You know, um, be it like. Um, um, Bewitched has uh, uh, was playing Samantha, but also um, played um, her, her cousin. Um, tap, no, um, Invasion of the Time. Serena. Yeah, well, these are ongoing characters, and and then uh, Bewitch, um, I Dream of Jeannie had her sister, or whatever, and and so forth, and but you could always tell when the you know. When there's a two-shot of them, there's another actress maybe wearing a wig or happens to have a similar hair, but you know it's not the same. You know, there's a two-shot, you know, uh, and the other one is right. two, has the back towards you, and you can always sort of tell. And But here, not for a moment did I say, oh, well, this is obviously a fake 
Patrick Troughton, you know, and I think they they handled it very well. Where you actually believe there's there's a there's Patrick Troughton playing Salamander and Patrick Troughton playing the Doctor, both in the same scene. I, I think they did it very well. There wasn't a, an instance where you could say, oh, well, there's a guy wearing a wig. That's not really Patrick. You know, that's not really the Doctor. It was it, there was never any of that scene that takes you out of the story. Because when you when you see that, all of a sudden you're you're taken out of the story and you're thinking about actors and you know and all that and the, the technical aspects of it. And there was never an instance in this story where I I felt that happening. Right. And I'm sorry to jump in there before. Uh, yeah, it was Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which I was trying to think about, where they were trying to, they had these people in the spaceship and they were trying to revert London back yes, to a, yeah. a utopian pre technological age, which, uh, but these people had spent 10 years down there. So it really was a, 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 a U turn in the story, a really big thing, because, uh, you know, he had this library where he didn't want to be disturbed. Uh, and then he would go down this great long shaft, which reminded me of some technology that, that again, was being talked about at the time, was used in supermarkets and, and store warehouses a lot, basically a vacuum tube, I think it was. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is that, um, uh, you know, where the till is, they put the money in a mm-hmm. little uh, to, uh, glass container yeah. and put it in an air tube and it goes zoom, yep. all around the fact, which is basically how he was getting down to this, this what had been built. Uh, as a a nuclear uh, a bunker at one point, and these people have been down there ten years. There was a, a young gatch, and I, 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 I'm not quite sure. I mean, obviously, this swan that actually goes up to the surface with him and and comes to a bit of a sticky end. Mm-hmm. But um, we also had uh, the young the, boy that yes, was uh, who wanted to go up to the surface. Seen there? Yeah. Uh, was it David? Was he called? I know it was uh, it was the two Colin and Mary, wasn't yeah, it? That, Col- that was I the young couple. Colin and it was Ad- yeah. Adam Verdi playing Colin, I think. Yeah, there's not a lot about him on the Wikipedia, but um, he looks as though he was he, he was doing a good job. But, that's uh, just like a little nugget there to... that they didn't have to include that, but that, that, that the fact that they did just made the story a little bit more realistic and believable. That that maybe some of the some of the people in this research center that that were getting a little suspicious about what's going on and they wanted to see the surface with their own eyes. And in other words, so, you know, it's just fleshing out the characters, you know, that there aren't just two dimensional characters that these, even when um, Astrid arrives down there, they, they started going after her because they just all assumed that she had, you know, that she was leaking radiation, that she was contaminated, you know, and then she proved that it was all a ruse, this whole contamination business. And, um, I, I don't know. It's it's it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Well, and we had a little bit of a light relief with uh, Griffin the <laughs> chef, who um, played by uh, Reg Reminds me a bit of shock guy. Yes, me. yes, he, <laughs> but, uh, he was some kind of character. You know, again, they didn't have to do that. I mean, he didn't play uh, that. Um, he didn't really have a pivotal role here. But uh, again, just fleshing out the characters and just making it that more enjoyable. And, and just speaking of, of, of lightheartedness. Um, you know, in our opening, you know, we, we joked about where we were coming from, and you know, and uh, and I think we all laughed when the doctor mishears uh, Yeti instead of Jetty. You know, in in um, um, early on in the story, I made it was episode one or two where um, they, they talk about unused Jetty, and he, did he, did he say Yeti? <laughs> oh, Jetty! <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and this actor, Reg Lai, who played it, is, is actually Australian again. So, again, because quite a lot of the story took place in uh, in the Australian segment here, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 there was at least two, if not three, actors that were Australian-based actors. Uh, uh, well, I should say they were based in the UK at the time, but, but they had, you know, they had uh, Australian credentials, shall we say. Uh, a lot of strong... Uh, this Reg Lai has been in lots of things. A lot of strong female characters, too, which I liked. Uh, Mary Peach did an excellent job playing Astrid. And I and as I mentioned before, Carmen Monroe, who played Farrah, uh, um, the food taster, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her character's name. Um, I thought yeah. she was very... I mean, it's, it's sad that, again, spoiler alert, that she does get killed in it, um, you know, because I did like her character. And the, the one sad thing you could argue is that... Um People of uh, different uh, backgrounds, uh, ethnic backgrounds, and uh, racial backgrounds were underrepresented in Doctor Who at the time. But uh, I don't think it was a, a racist thing on the on the BBC department. I think basically it was just because most of the actors they used were on the books and in house mm-hmm. and so on. But it was very refreshing to see a very strong character to like her. She came across and she was up, as I say, some some big people. I mean, that George Pravda uh, really got a bit of gravitas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Douglas, as we've said, is. and um, So, really, um, and quite a large cast. If you're looking at the um, yes. you know, the wiki page there, we've got about 20 and, and uh, you know, the, these are um, nearly all speaking parts. Well, so it, it also allowed for during this time, you know, they were shooting episodes on, on a um, mammoth scale, and in order to get some free time for the for the main principals, sometimes there would be an episode where none of them would appear. So I, I'm, I don't know if it was episode three. There was one episode where both Fraser Hines and Deborah Watley aren't in it at all. You four, know, four, well, maybe it was four, and then maybe three. Patrick Troughton wasn't in it, or there was one where he was he was absent. And and since you have such a strong cast of characters, they were carrying the story around uh, along to the next episode when you, when they would return. Yeah, uh, Fraser Hines and Deborah did not appear in episode four. Yeah. Okay, so it's episode so, um, four. But but uh, uh, I mean, listen, that's a week off. I mean, they, I mean, they really did. Uh, having said that, and I, I made this point before. Hopefully, it's still uh, a valid and uh, point, and that is that um, although they worked them a lot harder in terms of viewing ec- episodes with some people like uh, David Tennant and Matt Smith, you know. 50, 40, well, maybe 30 or 40% of what they do is not in the episodes. It's all the sort of um, interviews and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. photo shoots and doing voiceovers for, you know, for... Um, video games. Because uh, remember, yeah, because yeah, like the BBC brought out those free video games and things like that. And then they're doing costume fittings. I mean, uh, all sorts of things like that. Uh, doing uh, things for posters, for shoots and so on. So, I mean... I mean, Matt Smith, um, uh, although, I mean, he was thin when he started his job. I'm sure he went thinner. David Tennant, you know, uh, went thinner. I mean, they really got the pound of flesh out of these actors. I mean, maybe um, the same applies to what uh, we've quoted before, what Patrick Trump said, you know, three years is long enough to do this job uh, because the pace would just uh, pummel you down. 
but I certainly think that uh, what the current actors have to go through in in its different aspects and all the different, uh, you yeah. know, the multifaceted nature of uh, mm-hmm. promoting a show now takes its show with that. Even though they're, you know, all right, we know that we're not going to see Doctor Who on our screens until the end of August, and uh, and we might bemoan that, thinking, you know, we've had these split series and so on. But um, again, the, the longer episodes, so you could argue 13 or 14, 45 minute episodes with maybe a couple of those running to an hour at Christmas and that is equivalent to, you know, uh, nearly 26, 28, 30 episodes of the 25 minute variety. Yeah. Well, did we want to give our overall um, rating? Yeah. Should I go first? Sure, if you like. Otherwise, I can do it. <laughs> Either one. Either way. Well, I think I think you ought to have the uh, the the uh, the kudos of going last because what I will say is, I remember seeing this when it first came out. Not quite. My recollection wasn't quite as strong. I've already watched uh, rewatched Weather Fear, and I, I, I remember most of the plot points on that. This the, that particular the the underground nature of that group and how pivotal that was to the story and how. How how much that underlined the the salamander as being you know a vicious character and of course uh, often you'll see this in movies where you have the hero have to do something very bad to the baddie and the only way the hero can do something very bad to the baddie is that the baddie's a really nasty baddie if you know what I mean you know he cuts mm-hmm. up the girlfriend uh, does this that so that on when you're watching Death Wish four. You don't mind him actually retaliating because you think this this guy needs putting down, and of course um, the salamander comes to a pretty sticky end at the end of this, not on purpose and partly from his own doing, and th- that's again another little um, uh, switcheroo, didn't we? Right at the end when we think everything's sorted out, and we have the Doctor wandering back towards the TARDIS a bit dazed because of this big explosion that's gone off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they play that other little surprise on us. So I think it holds up very, very well indeed. Wasn't bored of it. The only thing I'll make a comment on, and I was saying to Lewis before we started describing, um, uh, you know, give me a bit of time to watch the extras, will you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the DVD. My DVD doesn't have any extras on it. Yes. It was a teaser for, so I, I, for I suspect the next story. I was both Dave and I were talking before we started recording that probably sometime in the future there'll be a special edition that will have uh, commentaries and extras and um, you know we, we, I mean it's it's probably a sure bet that Literally, we'll see that there are no extras. I mean, there's not even the, there's not even a stills gallery. There are no commentaries. You can pick selected scenes. But I think they, they really wanted to get this out. And um, don't forget this. I mean, uh, it was sold out when I first went to get it. But this and uh, Web of Fear were dominating uh, iTunes. When yes, it, it was came great. Out. Were it was great really seeing Doctor Who, black and white Doctor Who, spots, in, in the top 10 of the TV, you know, because um, iTunes will give you like the top 10 uh, listings of uh, popular episodes, you know, that's currently um, available on iTunes. And seeing black and white Doctor Who in that top 10, along with. Um, uh, the, I don't know, the, the, the pretty. Well, I'll popular tell you. Sh- it says here. Yeah, following its release, the two top spots on the iTunes download chart series following, and also the newly recovered serial Weather Fear, above Homeland and Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's the one that I was thinking about. Yeah. 
that's um, phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's. So I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it four out of five tardis grounds. You could argue, you know, you've got to be in that frame of mind to watch it. There's some um, some cheap cheap props used in it, but for the strength of the cast, uh, admittedly, uh, again, you've got to think. When they did this, they ha- the other performances that they're better known for, they hadn't yet done. But that still... Sh- I mean, one of the things that Doctor Who's always done, I think, is catch the cream of acting just as they're going, you know, they're breaking out. You know, think of uh, Carrie Mulligan in um, uh, in the Blink mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Her, 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 now, her, you know... Her career's gone stratospheric in films and uh, in Hollywood and so on. But it was all there on the screen when you saw her act. Sure. But the point is that, you know, uh, and then you have the other side of the coin where you have veteran actors who want to come on and do a cameo so they can tell the grandkids, yes, I was in Doctor Who. You know, they may have done, they may have done all these brilliant films and then uh, they'll go and see the grandkids and they say, hey, you're on Doctor Who. The very fact that they've been on Lawrence of Arabia, this, that, the other, <laughs> don't mean anything. <laughs> they've been in Doctor Who, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's great. So I'm going to give it a, a, a very strong four out of five TARDIS grounds. Oh, very good. Well, uh, I, I thought this was, um, as I said before, I thought it was a, a great um, ingenious storytelling and acting here. I think uh, Patrick Troughton did an outstanding job playing two characters in it. This is not a traditional Doctor Who story in a sense that there's no doc, no traditional, quote, traditional Doctor Who monsters in it. You know, there's no, even though the Yeti is mentioned, there's no Yeti, there's no, um, you know, Ice Warriors, there's no Cybermen. The, the, the villain here outside, you know, besides the mistrust and backstabbing and all that, is, um, is a salamander in a sense. And I think it was... Um, you know, it was bold for them to have Patrick Troughton playing both the villain and the hero in in the same story. You know, I don't know, you know, uh, I know, what was it, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I know some people gave that flack with, um, because at one point in, in that story, Harrison Ford, who plays Indiana Jones, turns and he's not, you know, and, and, and they thought that might um cast a bad thing on kids watching it and you know I, I think they discredit the intelligence of children watching it you know they they know what's going on in the story and i think the same thing applies here but this does prove that a good doctor who story doesn't have to have scary monsters in it all the time it do, you don't have to you know yes i know it's traditional and everyone you know it, 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 it's that doctor who you know you you you're watching it from behind the, the sofa and all that but it doesn't mean that every story has to have a scary element in it or or a um you know a monster in it you know we we spoke when we did the review of of the Matt Smith's error and we spoke about the the Vincent van Gogh story and how we I think mm. we were pretty much in sync and saying that it didn't need a monster and it the story was strong enough without it you know but it it felt like you know they had to throw that in in order to be a doctor who story but i'm saying it doesn't you know it doesn't necessarily have to be in it you don't always have to have a monster a a, a you know that type of monster in it so this has no you know there, there were no cybermats there were no you know, it was really just the story and the and 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 the the, the villainous and backstabbing of 
of, of Salamander, really. And and I thought it was, like I said, I, I think it was bold having Patrick Troughton playing both roles. He did an excellent job in it. I really liked it. I, I thought, um, like I said, I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, you know, at the end of each episode, I was looking forward to the next. You know, and, and I, as I said in the beginning of our review, it, it does... Um, it is a turning point in the series as far as um as as technically as far as um who's producing and 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 so forth and um so i'm gonna i'm giving it five out of um five tardis groans oh uh, excellent yeah i, I well really done. yeah okay i, I mean yeah it well, does have well, its faults yeah, I don't, it I does don't have its wobbly that. sets yeah. and all that but i i can look past that and just enjoy the storytelling in it and to me that's really this was um this the highlight in this really is the storytelling and the acting. Right. Well, the, the viewers at the time uh, stay with it like that. Cause, uh, again, just looking at the viewing figures, it starts off 6.8 million, then 7.6, 7.1, 7.8, 6.9, and then the final episode, 8.3. So, I mean, even even the dip is only just slightly below 7 million so it basically retained its audience all the way through and um and then 8 8.3 million uh cuz then yeah you know you watched it and you watched it and if you didn't watch it you missed it yeah this is yeah. one of those stories i think if you missed an episode or two you might be a little lost <laughs> you know it's it's something that you need, really need to cuz there, there's a lot of um well maybe not necessarily but i you know there's a lot that goes on in each episode Right. Yeah, you, you could probably skip one, but yeah, uh, I also think that uh, something like uh, the story Inferno uh, owes a lot to this sort mm-hmm. of story. Although you know, uh, the concept of having two—I mean, although that was a different premise—I I still feel as though going to something like Inferno at a later date, you know could do so after having something like this i, th- I think it's good because i mean i mean it became after this it became a cliche didn't it in soaps you know um it was always you know, about evil twin oh, not just in soaps we even had it with uh with with data and so on but yeah, yeah basically you know, you, exactly evil twin brother and this that and the other but in the, the in the time this went out i don't think that was a a particularly overused uh, plotline at all. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it, it was somewhat in in American sitcoms with um, like Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. But it, here, I mean, I'm glad they didn't go that route. You know, Salamander and the Doctor had no relation whatsoever. It's just, it's just a bizarre coincidence. Okay, it may it's a big leap of faith that you know that that these two would be so similar that they would even convince their 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 best friends and 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 comrades. You know, um, it, you know, Salamander's um, henchmen and all that. All you know when I, 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 yeah, you haven't seen the picture of me and Colin Spall, have you? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should uh, shoot a story uh, with Colin there <laughs> and, and you. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. So if uh, we're again, we're assuming you've seen it if you've gotten this far. But if you haven't, it's something. It's a it's a great. Tra- I'm so glad they found it. You know, I'm so glad that this was recovered. And also, we I, you know we'd be remiss by not giving some compliments and kudos to the restoration team, who I'm sure you know um, did the, you know the result of what we're seeing. You know, as far as how well it looks, you know, they played a part in that as well. Well, if you want to do a comparison, and I should really do it myself, um, uh, episode three of this uh, was 
I think it was uh, on the Lost in Time yeah. one of them is, set. Yeah, yeah um, in, in that, in that, and that was mm-hmm. the, the 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 episode that had been vid fired. Hadn't they? Um, the, mm-hmm. uh, with that, with that technique that the restoration team is, so maybe I ought to go and uh, try running that through and see how it compares to this rendition of it. Well, there was an article, and I, I know you know we um, I, I tweeted it out and um, you know and posted it on Facebook. It was, Maybe about a couple of months ago, about you know the restoration team and what they had to go through to, you know, to really uh, clean this these recovered episodes up. And it's they showed some examples of the original, uh, you know, f- stock film that they had to work with, and uh, you know, and what they had, you know, they had to clean it up. There, there was some side by sides. They were they weren't videos, but they were still shots, still um, you know, f- um, shots that showed the comparison there. Uh, I guess if I if I re- find that article again, I'll put it on our website. Yeah, episode three was released on VHS in the Troughton years, and then restored vidfire version was released on the DVD in two thousand and four. So that's ten years ago, blimey! In the Lost in Time box yes, set. Yeah, I have that. Uh, in two thousand and two. A CD, a remastered CD version of the audio was released with linking narration by Fraser Hines. But I've only got one thing to say to you about this podcast, Lewis. Which is? Are we at the end, Yeti? <laughs> Did you say Jetty? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, let's hope they haven't jettisoned us yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was deliberate foreshadowing because the next story is uh, the Web of Fear, which is uh, which which has the Yeti returning. So I, I don't know if that was a, just a, a little taste of foreshadowing there. You know that, that the drop the doctor drops that in, <laughs> and part of it takes place underground as well. That's true, and we'll be reviewing that next time. So that's something to look forward to. So I, um, that's going to wrap up our review, but I do want to remind everyone that you can, um, if you want to let us know what you felt about The Enemy of the World, if you've seen it, what, you, what your take on that is, or anything about Doc 2, we want to hear it. You can send your feedback to us at feedback at net, or you can, um, you know, since this is an audio podcast, we always prefer audio um, if whenever possible. You can call the Pachak Public Call Box at 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206-337-4699. And I do realize that sometimes that number changes, and that's unfortunately out of our control to some degree. Um if, uh, you know, you can always go to pachak.net and there's a tab there for feedback on the top and always, you know, check there before calling to get the up-to-date latest number if it did change, if depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, or if you have a smartphone, you can also just record. Most, most, most smartphones include a voice memo feature, so you can record a, um, your message as a voice memo and just keep it down to about three minutes or so. Um, include your name if possible so we can refer to you as a name and just send it to uh, once you record it email it to uh, feedback at net, and we want to hear you know again it could be your take on the enemy of the world or it could be anything um, related to Doctor Who or, or or you know in any shape or form yeah so if you haven't sent any feedback yeti it's time to do it <laughs> yes 
All right. Well, uh, you can also catch Dave on his unnamed podcast, which I'll name the Cultum Collective. There, I spilled the beans. And you can catch him every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. Uh, if you don't catch it live, you can uh, catch it on iTunes and other um, various places where fine podcasts are found. Again, that's called the Cultum Collective. On iTunes, it's Talk Show. Uh, I'm not, not on iTunes. On Talk Show, you can catch it live. On Talk Show, it's call ID 54821. Thank you, Lou. Thank you. And, um, and also just um, I know some people are um, you know wondering about our live shows we we have been doing live shows reviewing Doctor Who story new Doctor Who stories so when there's a new episode usually the following Sunday after the new episode's out we'll do a live review show and there hasn't been any new Doctor Who since the well since the Christmas um, special so and the next one isn't due until August. So uh, we do have, we've, and I mentioned this in our last show, that we are working on doing more live shows, maybe once a month, doing on, on a, not a review show, but on a, um, on a different aspect of Doctor Who. So there's a couple that we are um, in the works right now. And, and you know, I was um, the reason we haven't done it yet is because... Well, they're not quite yeti ready. They're not yeti ready. Okay, yes. Uh, <laughs> Wait until we get to our next episode when the Yeti is actually in the story. <laughs> we have not Yeti seen everything yet. <laughs> oh, well, I better quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> anyway, so it's something to look forward to. We'll we'll announce when we're doing the live show. We'll, we'll uh, put it on our website and um, you know announce it here and whatever. So you'll be aware of it when when it's taking place. Oh, it will probably be done on TalkShoe as well, just like the Coltum Collective as we've done in the past. All right. right. So I think that's going to wrap things up. Once again, Dave, thank you for your participation. Um, it's always a delight and a pleasure. And um, thanks, um, Salamander, as well. Ah, yeah. See? I, I, I can't do a Salamander voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed that. I, I, I do urge anybody, you know, if, if they... If they didn't jump straight ahead and get the iTunes uh, version, um, you know, get the uh, get the. Di- although I, I think uh, one of the DVDs, the the release dates, as, as we said, in different countries are different. But um, certainly here in the UK, both Enemy of the World and Web of Fear are out, and I'm uh, I, I'm almost through Web of Fear now. I'll have to see if that's got any extras on it now, won't I? But you'll have to tune in next week, our next podcast, to see if uh, Podshock covers that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll know then. All right. Well, um, I guess that's it then, Em. I guess, blah, 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 blah. I guess that's it for everything. Um, until next time, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifernMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit ArtTrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Hello.
Australasian zone? How much longer? Look, don't talk to me about sunspots. What? Well, the Central European zone. Please don't worry about procedure. This is urgent. Connect me. That might be her now. Yes? Hello, Giles. This is me, Astrid. Right, let's have it. What's happening? Everything's gone fine so far. Speak up. We can't hear you very well. Oh, it's these spots. Oh, she's having spot trouble. Oh, yes. Right. How is the plan working so far? It's gone fine. Uh, the rocket arrived right on time in Hungary, and Jamie's got his entrance pass and has started phase one. Uh, do you think the boy can handle it? Well, I hope so. My goodness, they're a pretty odd lot, though, aren't they? Uh, well, actually, the doctor's with me right now. Oh, I am sorry. Oh, I know. I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, what news of Denish? We must keep him posted as to what is happening. It's all right. We've contacted and we've arranged to meet. Be careful. He is pretty well known. Oh, don't worry. We've, uh, well, we, I suggested that we meet under a disused jetty by the river. Disused yetty? No, no, no. no. Jetty, jetty.